Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So, if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place, and welcome. Today, I'm speaking again with Dr. Nathan Demers. He is the Vice President and Director of Clinical Programs at Grit Digital Health, the team behind mantherapy.org, which he and I had talked about in another episode. Grit Digital Health is a business comprised of specialists in behavioral health, wellness, technology, and marketing communications. And in the world of mental health, they are doing the work in transcending the barriers like stigmas and creating all of these amazing and interesting access points to allow people to get the support when they need it and in a way that makes it more palatable to them to reach it. So welcome back again, Nathan. Thank you. So happy to be here again. I know. I'm excited. Um, the work that you guys are doing is just amazing. It's so innovative. Um, it's, you know, trending with it being, uh, accessed digitally that I think, um, that this is just vital, vital stuff that you guys are doing. And so today, to let everybody know, at the conclusion of our last episode that we did when we talked about man therapy, which is how I found you, um, we were brainstorming what some other topics might be for us to cover on the podcast. And since this is about mental health awareness or mental wellness, parenting and self-improvement, um, we chatted a bit about another program that you have called You at College, which is aimed, obviously, at college students and their mental well- wellness. Now, I, I can't speak for you, but I know that for me, going to college was awesome. Like, I was out on my own. The atmosphere was just cool. I mean, I was kind of like escaping from home life, and I just jumped in two feet and just, you know, just loved it. And I know that I dealt with the typical things and stress, like how to pay for meals, how to buy my books, should I really drink that much? Which do I prefer, beer or Zima? But for overall, um, going to college was was great. You know, I, I I had come up way with this mantra that anybody that said that high school was the best years of their life never went to college. Um, but going to college isn't smooth sailing for a lot of students out there and a lot of teenagers out there, right? Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And just really picking off of well, piggybacking off of what you're saying is, you know, many for many students, college is the best four years of their life. But the reality is it's not for everyone. And what's so dangerous about that mindset is when a student does go away and let's just say they're, you know, haven't found their social group or aren't jiving with campus, all of a sudden they think something's wrong with them because, you know, this is supposed to be the best four years of my life. What's wrong with me? When in reality, maybe it's just not the right fit or something's going on psychologically or in the family or friendships that isn't um, jiving with that. So right. it's so important to really break down that um, stereotype. Again, it's a great heuristic, but it's not perfect. It doesn't match everyone's experience. Right, right. To me, going out to college was I got to reinvent myself because I got to break free of, you know, the town I grew up in, you know, some of the roles and responsibilities that I had. And so I think that's what was liberating was that it it wasn't Mm -hmm. scary to go out and start over. It was like I was dying for it. Um, But you're Mm -hmm. right. You know, I did notice from students when I went to school that a lot of them that you thought were just going to like nail it, right? They were going to, you know, just breeze through college. They were high performing students when they were in high school. And I was shocked by how many actually dropped out like in the first quarter or the first semester of school that I never would have seen coming in it. And that kind of threw me off. I was like, wow, I mean, what are you guys going to do now? You know, kind of a thing. Um, so how about, how was college for you? What did you think? I mean, Cause you've got a lot of education behind you. <laughs> I, I do a few too many years in some ways, um, but I had a great college experience. I really resonate with yourself. I was a college athlete, made some amazing friends, and um, again, I had a great experience. I felt like I had the tools I I needed and was ready for that step. But again, every experience is different, and um, 
I, I feel really lucky that I had that one. Yeah, I agree. So, so then you guys together came up with this program of you at college. So where, where did the idea germinate from? Yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting story, similar to man therapy and ties directly to it. So man therapy, obviously, uh, we did a whole episode on that, but did really well, got some great national and international attention. And, um, one of the, the founder of Cactus Communications, who is the marketing firm who did man therapy is actually a Colorado State University alumni. <laughs> and after man therapy launched, it was out there in the world for a number of years. Um, CSU actually reached out to Joe Conrad, who's the founder, and said, you know, we're having some real challenges on campus. Um, they actually had two academic years with 17 suicides collectively. Wow. And with that, they knew that, you know, we have to do something differently. And CSU has an amazing integrated model. They have, uh, I think it's over 60 counselors on staff. So they have that part down, but they realized, you know, we need to go upstream and do something else. So I kind of said to Joe, like, he did this man therapy thing. I wonder if we can put our heads together and make something for college students. So with that, we said, you know what, let's form a public-private partnership and, and go with this and do it right. So we started doing focus groups and we brought man therapy to campus. And as soon as we put it in front of students, they said, we like it, we get it, it's funny, but this is for my white dad. Like, this is not representative of me or my experience. Right. So with that, we said, let's take the tenets of man therapy, which are a confidential, anonymous platform with a great user experience and branding, and make that for college students. So that's exactly what we did. Cool. Now, what are some of the challenges that you've seen with students that, and are they different, you know, over the, the course of the years? I mean, what are, what are, what are college students struggling with that, you know, aside from, you know, suicide, what is an obvious outfall of something that's going on? What are those things that, um, students are really kind of having a problem with, with that transition? Yeah, so to zoom out a little bit more and going back to your and my college experiences, I will say in, in my opinion, both as a just a person and a professional, the college experience is so different nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think of just, I, I joke that I wouldn't get into my college now, and I, I think it's really right, actually, because mm-hmm. um, the standards are just ever rising, and that stress to get into college, students are already thinking about that when they're just entering high school, and not just thinking about it, but worrying about it. Where am I going to go to school? How is this going to connect with the rest of my career? So we know that the stakes sort of feel higher because, you know what, college is in some ways for many individuals the new high school. Mm -hmm. So we also had a lot more people going to college, which is great in my opinion, but also can lead to some folks with some more or additional needs getting in there. Mm-hmm. But when we dive into just the behavioral health data, I am a psychologist nerd after all. Yeah. We know that um, one in four college students has a diagnosable behavioral health condition, but 40% of that population will never get support. Oh, wow. And when we look at further statistics, we know that the utilization of college counseling centers across the country has gone up five times that of enrollment. Wow. So with that, counseling centers just simply can't keep up with the needs. And there's so many hypotheses behind what that is from, you know, of course, older folks saying, well, this generation just doesn't have enough grit and resilience to pull themselves up by their bootstraps to the role of technology and things like that. So right, social media is lies in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we don't know exactly where it is, but one thing we do know is that the needs are real if the needs are there. Yeah. And going back to that suicide statistic, what's tragic is um, suicide is actually the second leading cause of death on college campuses. And 60% of those students who die by suicide have never seen a behavioral health provider. So for myself, that was my call to action to say, you know, we can do great work once a student self-identifies, and I'm doing awesome work with students in my four walls in the therapeutic office, but what about that 60% who's never getting in here? And if they're not coming to us, how do we get to them? And that's what really reinforced the idea of man therapy is one place we know students spend a lot of time is on their smartphones, laptops, and tablets. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's astounding. I was having a conversation with a friend just a couple of weeks ago. Um, She's got family that actually work in psychology at a university out on the East Coast. And they were remarking on some of the kind of the personality characteristics that they were seeing, that they were seeing it seemed like less urgent issues, but yet more people complaining of them, you know, 
kind of almost that mm-hmm. weird can't put a finger on what the problem is so that they're they are struggling with everything around them you know from mm-hmm. you know the, the the grating voice of their roommate to you know things that don't seem like they're real problems anymore but it's it, i agree it's kind of like that isn't really the problem it's that what is going on at that deeper level that you know maybe the I don't know the mental and I hate calling it strength because I also think that it's not right to be overpowering, you know, that that's not a great way to raise, you know, raise your kids and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there's something frail out there. That's kind of frightening, you know, from a parenting perspective. Yeah. A lot of folks refer to you know millennials and Gen Z as the snowflake generation. And I know that's degrading. So I don't want to jump on that bandwagon. Right. I'm not but, there. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, it does go to show like, you know, maybe there is something different about, um, you know, social media is something that a lot of students are, are really basing their um, confidence on. So yeah. rather than spending time with peers, it's, oh, how many likes did that friend, did that post get? Or only four people liked this on Instagram. And then that can be a big hit to morale. And then if you don't have that solid group of friends to connect with, that can be really damaging. Yeah. Yeah. What do we need to know about the emotional development of a teenager? Because, you know, these, these, kids that are starting school, I can say kids now because I have them. Um, but you know, some of them are starting as young as 17, but we can't forget that they are mm-hmm. still children in some regards. So what, what do we need to know about the mental development from that psychological neuroscience space of that 17 to 22 year old, uh, human that is now, you know, living on their own in the midst of, of this college environment? Yeah, I think from a parent perspective, and I am a parent, but uh, my son's only one years old, so far far from college, but I know it's just on the horizon at the same time. Um, but with that, and I know everyone's heard this over and over again, but we know that the brain doesn't fully stop developing the frontal cortex, which is, of course, where we make a lot of our decisions, our de- decision-making center, doesn't fully finish forming until, you know, mid to mid-20s or so. Mm-hmm. So with that, obviously, that's why we see a lot of experimentation and things like that, whether it's drugs and alcohol, um, just pushing limits, risk-taking, sexual behavior, et cetera, et cetera. But in my opinion, one thing I think of college is all about is becoming an independent person, especially in our culture. And I think as parents, one thing to be very mindful of is high school is obviously a, a pretty significant transition where all of a sudden your your little baby all of a sudden has a car and is going to class and, you know, you're not doing parent-teacher conferences every week. But college is another step beyond that. Maybe your student is moving across the country and living on their own and making their own decisions and being really mindful to support him or her as an autonomous individual while also wanting to play that role of guiding, mentoring parents can be a very difficult balance for many families because it represents such a big change from what the previous 17, 18 years were. Right, right. Well, and then a lot of parents, when they see their kid leaving for college, they're like, woohoo, you know, finally, right? And they just kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, check out completely. Um, but it sounds like there may still be some need to have some degree of involvement and awareness, especially if, if we don't know if our child is adapting and is, you know, entering college because it's dangerous probably to assume that they're going to have the same amazing experience you and I did. Um, and, and just kind of like let them, you know, noodle through it on their own. So mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't agree more. So what, what does, you know, if my kid gets out to college there, what are some things that you think that a parent could do that supports some of the work that you guys are doing and you think could actually benefit, you know, some of these students that you see, you know, in the therapeutic offices and stuff that, that still need a little bit of guidance through this emotional development for them? Yeah, of course, there's no one simple answer to that because right. human behavior, of course, incredibly complex. Um, <laughs> but with that, I think really maintaining that relationship that you had with your child throughout the previous 17, 18 years of their life is really important. Don't have this huge dramatic shift where all of a sudden you're not calling at all and you're not talking or on the other side, you're calling every day because you're worried about every single decision that they're making. So that simple act of trying to maintain that continuity so that in a time with a lot of changes, there can be that, you know, anchor or rock for that individual to really feel like, you know what, I'm still good. Everything else around me is changing, but you know what, I got my family unit. Yeah, I'm glad and you mentioned this, that. Uh, yeah. The other thing is just going out of your way to show that you still care. Send a care package. Do a random call, maybe FaceTime or something like that, and have genuine conversations about how they're doing. Because we also know about this generation, especially in college, how are you doing? Everyone says fine. 
And whenever I work with a student, I always say, oh, you're fine. That means you're fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, so how can we really pull out, like, no, how are you really doing? And ask those few probing questions because that's how you can know that, you know what, it is okay if you're feeling homesick. It's fine if you're not liking your major. We can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And anchor, I, what I was saying was like, I, anchor is so important. I think that's one of the things that's like, you know, you don't have to do everything right, but your kid needs to know that you're there and, and feel like that they can still lean in and, and count on you and stuff. So I have a son who's a junior and I don't know if he's going to go to college right away or not. We're leaving that up to him to be able to decide. Um, but if, if he decides to take that path or even move out, what can I do with him right now to get him ready for that so that some of these changes that are inevitable are less startling and he's more emotionally and developmentally ready to take them on? Yeah, I think the first thing is really just getting life experience and throwing, throwing yourself out there as a, as a young adult. So whether that's undertaking internships or being a server, things like that, getting used to people and resilience and understanding how you interact in the world is one amazing way to do so. And obviously, depending on your relationship with your child, being able to talk about those stumbling blocks and strengths and things like that can go such a long way. But the other piece in really helping prepare for college, a lot of our research shows that simply talking about potential hurdles before you undertake any path can greatly increase the likelihood of success. Wow. So simply talking about, like, you know, what are your dreams of college? And talk about all those awesome fantasies. But then on the other side, talk about, like, what are some challenges you might come across? And you can bring up some of yours from college. You can think about some others or do a little research and say, you know, what do you think if uh, you were really lonely on campus? What might you do or how could you reach out for supports or things like that? Or what if you don't like your classes or your roommate? Just planting those seeds, again, can really help bring some reality to the situation that, you know, this is going to be an amazing time, but it's also not going to be up, be without its challenges. Mm-hmm. And I have the tools to overcome Yeah, that's actually, that's really great. Um, You're getting them that problem-solving skills um, before they have to get, like, it sprung up on them and surprised by them. You know, one thing I was thinking about is not every parent that's listening to this ever even went to college. And -hmm. um, and I know my parents didn't. So, you know, being able to kind of prepare ahead of time, I you know, it was one of the things that I had to just sort of sort out on my own. I did have an uncle that worked at the same university that I attended. And I, you know, to be honest, I think he hung out there long enough to get to make sure that he was kind of there you know, keeping an eye on me out in the distance and stuff, which I totally appreciated about that. Um, so do you see any challenges or um, with students? I, I, I'm just curious because I'm like you, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd about numbers, right? And so um, mm-hmm. do, do students whose parents went to school have a different or better experience than those who are coming from a family that doesn't have any college educated or college mm-hmm. experience in their background? Yeah, so it's a really great question. And just to draw a parallel, Think about, you know, if I grew up in a family and they were all court judges. Yeah, of course, if I had a challenge when I became a judge, could I turn to my mom or dad or someone and ask that question? Yeah, I could. And, of course, that would make things easier. So with that, one thing we know about first-generation students, which, again, is referring to students who are the first one in their family to enter or achieve a higher ed degree, is maybe they can or, or can't go to their parents for that level of So with that, that can, of course, throw some curveballs, but I'd say you can say, you know what, everything, as parents, we weren't dealing with social media, and we have the choice to, you know, learn the best we can and help us help our children cope with that, or we can just say, nah, you're on your own. So A, there's amazing supports on campus for first-generation parents, uh, students, and parents of first-generation students. But again, being a curious parent and doing your best to say, you know, what are these challenges and how can I best support that is really the best thing that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Do you see any of the students um, feeling the pressure to go to school maybe when they didn't feel like they were ready for it or even wanted to do that? Yeah, that's definitely something we see. Um, one thing I saw actually more often than that is students that felt they had to pursue a specific major because, you know, mom or dad did it or that's what they said. I have to be an engineer and students not doing well. Um, the amount of students that I've worked and I'm just picking a, a random profession, but um, I've worked with a handful of students who were in engineering and they were doing terribly in school. Mm-hmm. And when we really engaged in therapy and got to know one another, it was like, 
actually, you're great. You're really smart. You can totally achieve. You just hate engineering. And lo and behold, when they start taking some other classes, they excel. But of course, for some families, depending on culture and expectations, that can be a really big decision and really disappointing for parents. So again, it really comes down to openness, transparency, and every family unit different. But I think the more that we can talk about anything like that, the better. Yeah. Yeah. And engineering, that's actually what my bachelor's degree is in. And I got into it because I was, you know, kind of pushed into that direction by family and friends because I, I, I showed strength in science and math. Um, my boyfriend mm-hmm. that I went to college with, he was also in the same degree, but he just couldn't get through the curriculum. I mean, it just, it, you know, he mm-hmm. wanted it really badly, but he couldn't actually pull it off. And so he went in a totally different direction. Um, right. you know, and I, you know, and I did fine. I mean, obviously I got my degree and I worked as, you know, almost 10 years as an engineer. So it wasn't terrible. I love the experience and stuff. For myself, I was really lucky that I, I went to a liberal arts school. I had a knack for psychology. I thought that's what I'd do, but I gave it the first year and a half to really just poke around and see what I liked and what I didn't. And, you know, it was great. I got to confirm what I liked, but working or going to school and having a number of friends that came in and said, you know what, I'm going to be pretty mad at going all in and pre-med and before they knew it senior year they actually wanted to do uh creative writing and they had to start from scratch that's of course a very stressful and difficult position to be in oh for sure yeah and i envy you because i had well, i actually wanted to study psychology and writing both and so but to go into engineering it was like okay well i can get a job and nobody nobody in my family knew how i could actually do the psychology and it was like well I, I, here i am you know many years later going well this is how i get to do it <laughs> I feel like I came back full circle for that. Um, Psychology is in everything. (laughs) It is. Well, and I did marketing, you know, and that's what I do now. And it's, uh, you know, it's embedded in, you know, psychology has a lot in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I also had tutored on campus. And I know that one of the things that I ran into as a tutor was um, students feeling like they were trying to get washed out by instructors. Um, you know, they come in, you know, especially we saw this in like the math department and the engineering and physics department where students were struggling, like they wanted to be successful, but they felt like the, the way the classes were structured. And I know some parents that have never been to college wouldn't understand, but like at K-State, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big eight woman, actually, not a big 12. Um, but you know, you have a, a, a lecture that's got like a hundred, you know, people in it. And then they break down into smaller recitations with a grad student. And to be honest, sometimes the grad student student wasn't always, you know, English as a first language. And Mm -hmm. so my role as tutor was just trying to, you know, to help a lot of these students just survive to get through it. And they, and they felt really kind of feeling like it wasn't fair that they'd be pushed through the program that, you know, somehow it was the duty of the school in, in real life, you know, to, to make it incredibly hard for them to be successful. And I saw students, you know, come and go that way. And I was just like, I was heartbroken by that. Um, you know, and so do you see that? St- I mean, do we still have that happening on campuses where, you know, people are just doing the best that they can, but feel like the system itself is just kind of working against them in terms of, you know, how the, the classes are taught or how they're structured and, and they're not ready for that kind of rigor. Yeah, it, it can be a huge jump from a high school classroom where, you know, more often than not, you're in a class of 25 students, every teacher knows your name, to all of a sudden being one in 300. And, you know, you kind of have to fend for yourself and no one's checking, did you turn in your homework? It's just one test at the end of the year or a semester. So it can be a huge transition. And speaking to that classroom dynamic, um, what I found in my experience working with other uh, multiple campuses is uh, every school's different, every major's different, every professor's different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, unfortunately, there are absolutely still fear, fields or uh, spheres where it is dog-eat-dog. Dog. I think in grad schools, when it comes to, like, let's say medical school or law school, it is pretty cutthroat because, you know, being in the top 10% is really important mm-hmm. versus other um, majors, for example, not to throw any under the bus, but when I think of English or history, for example, where you end up in your class doesn't have as much of an implication on your subsequent job opportunities, if you will. Right, right. Of course. Yeah, of course. Opportunities are just, you know, regarded a little bit differently there. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about what the U at College program and platform is that you guys have designed to help students be successful with this transition um, in in their experiences at, at school. Yeah, so doing a lot of the research, again, we know that mental health and just life getting in the way is ultimately what leads to a lot of students dropping out. So when we actually look at some of the data, we know that 
about half of students who drop out do so with a 3.0 or higher. Wow. So what that tells us is that, you know, it's not that students can't keep up in the classroom. It's just that life is getting in the way. So we knew and we wanted to say, like, how can we address that? And the other piece we learned, um, in addition to some of the stats I shared before, is that 50% of students who drop out due to a mental health condition have never accessed supports on campus for that issue. And that can come down to stigma or just simply not knowing about it or not feeling comfortable. But those are the challenges that we said, you know, we have to make something that can solve those, solve those problems and fill those gaps. So with that, our, our initial working hypothesis, again, stemming from man therapy, was we want to make a mental health fitness center. And the first thing students said when we took that idea and brought it to focus groups was, I'm probably not going to use that. Because you know what? It sounds like work, doesn't sound like fun, and most importantly, I don't have a behavioral health disorder. I might be staying up all night, I might be lonely, I'm coping with drugs and alcohol, so I'm not sleeping and I'm missing class, but you know, I'm not depressed. That's someone else. Someone else should be going to the counseling center. So with that, we said, you know what? We can't go at this problem head on, or we can't go at it head on for everyone. So we quickly shifted from going to a mental health fitness center to being a well-being platform. So we came up with this hypothesis that said, you know what, there's really three main pieces to the college experience. The first, of course, is mental and physical health. Because you know if you're not healthy, you're probably not going to make it or the cards are stacked against you. But then two, your academics is incredibly important. So we made a domain called Succeed, which is all about academic and career success. And I've worked with a lot of students who have come into my office in acute crisis or acutely suicidal because they just failed a test. And maybe it's an international student who's worried about losing their visa. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we have to address those issues. Um, including how do I pay for school? How do I pay off all the debt that I'm accruing? How can I connect with a job that matches my interests afterwards? Mm-hmm. And then, so I forgot to mention that the physical and mental health, the name of that domain is called Thrive. And then Matter is all about everything outside the classroom. Because at the end of the day, as you probably remember, you actually only spend about 10% of your time on campus in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's everything from clubs and organizations and do I belong here and do I feel connected to, you know, just a greater sense of purpose and connection and things like that. So with that, our platform has right now over 900 resources that students can access across those three domains 100% confidentially and anonymously. And that was another huge tenet of platform because students said, if I go to this platform and, you know, I type in something as sensitive as dropout or suicide or sexual health, and I'm worried that Nathan's going to come drop knocking on my door, there's no way in hell I'm going to use your platform. It's just going to sit on a shelf and collect dust. Right. So we had to respect that. But on the other side, and this was where the, the fun challenge came out of everything, is that students said, you know, everything in my life is personal from my news feeds to my music feeds to the temperature I get my coffee. So with that, we knew we couldn't just make a general platform for every student across the country. So we customized it for each campus because, of course, your experience at Kansas is different than mine at Middlebury is different than a student at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, if I'm a student athlete or a first-generation student or a member of the LGBTQ plus population, those experiences on campus are very different. So we made it so that a student can fill out a profile with some demographic variables and interests and things like that, and the portal actually customizes the experience to who that user is. And that's how we get so many students coming into the site and staying in the site, because I'm giving them resources that are really matching those specific identities. Okay, so the the program is... um you get to go to a college and tailor this, and then is it is it like an app that they have access to on their phone, and does the school share it with the students, or do I as mom share it with my kid and say, hey, you need to get this on your phone and check it out? Um, how do we how do how does it actually get integrated with a population at a certain school? Those are all great questions, and I did a terrible job inter- introducing things. <laughs> um, so with that, yes, we, we partner with institutions. And the other reason we did that, another huge insight, is when we did those focus groups, students said, you know, I know that there's a, literally a million different ways what it feels like to get involved on campus, but I just don't know how or where to go. So when we did our focus groups at CSU, we learned that there's 12 different student portals, all for different things on campus. 
And we know that unfortunately institutions' websites tend not to have a great user experience. They don't feel like being on Facebook or Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And we know that students who are very much digital natives don't have a long attention span for a website that isn't all that great. Mm-hmm. Um, students we know spend eight seconds to 30 seconds on the very long end on any one site. So if I can't find information on my university website, you better believe that I'm going to be frustrated, and that's actually further stigmatizing whatever topic it was I was going for support. Mm-hmm. So when we partner with institutions, we make it look and feel like campus because we know that students want that comfort of, you know, this is a platform brought to me by the institution. And with that, and what's really cool is in how we create an economy of scale is what we do is we make a lot of content. So we've made a 21-part video series that provides some high-level psychoeducation. So what's the difference between sadness and depression, and when should I reach out for help? Because students a lot of times know when to go to the health center if they break their ankle, but don't know when to go to the health center if, you know, their appetite's changed and they're not having pleasure going to practice, which they used to love their sport, and they're having a difficult time getting out of bed. So that's that upstream piece, or how to deal with roommate conflict, because we know if we can help nip something in the butt as simple as a, a tough roommate conflict, we can prevent some really down, significant downstream consequences. Hmm. So that's what we call universal content. So that's content that we can make and push to all of our campus partners. And why that's so important is we know higher ed doesn't have unlimited time and energy, and every campus is working on some sort of quote-unquote well-being initiative. So what we can do is make a world-class digital experience and then share that with all of our campus partners. And that also lets campuses share ideas and content that we co-develop with them with their other peers. So that's a pretty cool functionality. We also have campus resources in there. Because going back to that student who, you know, says, no way I'm going to the counseling center. A lot of times, if I'm stressed, anxious, depressed, whatever it might be, the first website I'm not going is the counseling center website. It's just not. That's it's reality. But, you know, maybe I come to our website and I do a quick keyword search for stress. And I learn that, oh, you know what? I had no idea that the counseling center actually has a free stress management workshop. It's not therapy. It's just a place I can go you know, learn some coping tools or a yoga group based around stress or a workout class that's actually designed specifically to help manage stress. Those are much more approachable. Mm-hmm. So that's really how the website works. And the other piece that we did a lot of work to make sure it fits, similar to mentherapy.org, is we know every student doesn't want to just go to therapy. A student might need to watch a video about huh, maybe I'm not just that. Maybe I am depressed or maybe I'm not just lonely. Maybe there's something more going on. And maybe the first resource that they access in our portal is a video, then a quick screening tool on loneliness. And then maybe they download an evidence-based app that we've vetted on the internet and plugged in here. And then they say, huh, you know what? Maybe this therapy thing isn't so bad. So we're really that bridge to supports for students. Cool. And I, I'm opening up the U at Colorado State to look at it um, because the, if you go to U at college.com, what you're introduced to is the, the program itself. And, and for schools, it looks like if they want to reach out and actually integrate it into it. But to actually see this for anybody that's out there, any educators, parents, um, even college students that want to see what this looks like, it's um, I'll have the link on here, but it's U dot colostate.edu. And you can actually see how this works and, and all of these tools that are in there. Um, yeah, you unfortunately won't be able to get into the portal to actually explore and do searches and take some of the assessments we made, but you can at least see that landing page, which is great. Yeah, for sure. Now, what's been the feedback that you've gotten from having this program and some of the results that you guys have seen, the, the, the positive upticks here? Yeah, so it's been overwhelmingly successful, and obviously I'm a little bit biased being <laughs> one of the, the creators and being here, but um, that being said, so campuses really love it because, again, we're able to get a lot of students into this platform. So at Colorado State University, an institution of about 33,000 students, we've actually had over 40,000 unique users come to the site in three years. Wow. So that means, again, we're getting the majority of students into this site and exploring the resources. And one thing I'm narcissistically very proud of is that we see that most of our student users come in the portal looking for academic advice or tips and resources. Because, of course, you know, that's something that's socially acceptable to say. They're like, yeah, I'm stressed about academics. But by far the most viewed content on the site is all in physical and mental health, specifically at stress, anxiety, depression, 
I'm how profound I'm worried about, and sleep coming in at number five. So, again, we know that this model is working as an upstream approach to increasing coping tools, helping students build their grit and resilience, and then, most importantly, if they ever are in a crisis situation, they know where to go. So we have an ever-present crisis button that links them to supports, um, everything from on-campus supports to suicide prevention lifeline. And I know just this spring alone at Colorado State University, we actually had 582 clicks of that button. So with that, we don't know what students do after that, but I am very proud knowing that, you know, if a student does have a crisis, they know exactly where to turn to get that support, which is much better than looking at a blank Google screen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a 582 clicks. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty strong. I mean, and it's, yeah, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it could just be a student exploring, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm okay. If a student explores that and knows where to access that resource, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple other great data points. We know that 87% of our users reported learning about a new campus resource and half that population reported actually connecting to a campus resource. And when we look at a lot of the research, we know that loneliness among college populations or among everyone is about the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It's amazing the, the negative correlates of health that are in there. So when we know that the majority of students are learning about and actually connecting to campus supports, that's a huge win for us. I was going to ask the question about the loneliness piece right here, because um, you mentioned loneliness that you know, students, that that's one of the things when you and I talked about it before, that this is actually kind of a big deal for students is this feeling of loneliness and trying to, to find ways to, um, to connect them and, and work through this with them. Um, aren't you, what programs are, you know, uh, what things are you developing specifically about that area of concern? Yeah, so we have a lot of content in the portal specifically addressing loneliness and how to get involved. And, you know, college is somewhat of an extrovert's world. And if you're an introvert, it can be hard to get involved. So we have a lot of content around that. But really excitingly, um, if excitingly is a word, um, <laughs> this past sure. January or so, um, we were contacted by an organization in San Francisco called Hope Lab. And Hope Lab is a social innovation lab. Um, they're funded by the Omidyar Group, which is the family that started eBay. And their goals are really to address the health of the adolescents and young adults. And one area that they're doing work on is specifically mental health in adolescents of young and young adults. And they basically did a, a real uh, significant research effort to say, you know, what issue all the way from um, poverty to mental health to loneliness to treating diabetes, can we have the biggest impact on, again, large-scale national health of adolescents and young adults. And they said, you know what, if we intervene in loneliness, we can do that. So after a long vetting process, they found us and we actually formed a partnership with them. And we've been doing a research sprint to really get what is the best understanding we can possibly have of what it is or what it means to be lonely on campus today. And we heard some amazing stories. We did some national primary and secondary research effort. We interviewed a lot of students. And we're just finishing all that research. We're actually going to be releasing a a paper on that pretty shortly. But from that, what we're going to do is actually build the functionality or some sort of program to help address the issue of loneliness on campus. So that's very much in line and in parallel with all of our work we're doing at U at College. But, of course, it's super exciting because with the back end of U at College and those 900 resources and be able to, to connect students to the right resources at the right time, coupled with whatever this thing is we're going to make, we're extremely excited to be able to get that out there. Yeah, that's cool. Now, are you finding that, I mean, has the world changed enough that we're able to really take care of some of this mental wellness digitally? You know, I yeah, I sit there and I think, like, at what point um, – for me, I guess maybe it's because I'm an I'm an older adult and I'm an older. I'm 46 years old, so you know. Um, but I, it, it seems astounding that we can actually, you know, reach and connect and save, you know, all through this and this anonymity of this digital platform. I mean, I'm kind of like, doesn't somebody need a phone call or you know, a, an actual one-on-one therapy session? Um, are you seeing mm-hmm. that this the shift in culture is that that this? Is, I mean, obviously, you guys are doing effective work. I mean, you know. Um, it's had some, you know, some really great impact. And I know the results that you guys are getting back on man therapy are, are super encouraging with this. Um, 
But I mean, as a psychologist, you know, is there a, a shift in treatment where digital is becoming a, a, a really effective way of, of helping people? That's a, a great question, and it's very much an emerging field. It's, it's kind of like the wild, wild west in that it's so new, it's uh, really coming to be right now in front of our eyes. So an important distinction to make about what we do is we're all about using technology to connect people with relationships in real life, essentially. So the goal of men therapy is get men talking about mental health, just like that is the same with college. But we're not providing one-on-one therapy. And what this really speaks to is, in our perspective, mental health and health comes in many forms. For some students, for some men, maybe connecting with an app is going to help them manage their stress and avoid that crisis. But in a lot of circumstances, you know what? The most appropriate referral is actually going to be therapy. Mm-hmm. or seeing a psychiatrist or whatever it might be. So with that, we're not providing those psychiatric services. There are absolutely telemedicine apps where you can, you know, video with the therapist, which are showing great promise. And there are also online CBT modules, cognitive behavioral therapy, that you can actually walk through modules and do that. And they have a lot of evidence behind them. There's some great research that's not currently what we're doing. Um, but yes, it's very much an emerging field that's showing some promising results. But um, just personally as a clinician, I do think that relationships are really important and really not being mindful of that balance between technology replacing everything. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable in having tough conversations. I think mm-hmm. that can be the worst cause of, of many individuals and I'd say college students' challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, that's that's part of it is if you can't have the talk to begin with, you can't put the words to what you're feeling. You know, it's almost like a non-starter there, and um, mm-hmm. and and that. Or if it doesn't feel okay to, yeah. to say those words that I'm not doing okay in our culture, we know it's not okay to not be okay. Right. So again, our websites are saying like, you know what? We all have mental health. We're all in this pool together, and one day I can be doing great, and the next day I can be really shitty, and that's okay. Yeah. So let's bring that into the forefront and talk about it. Yeah. Now, how many schools do you have with the UAC College program up and running? Yeah, so right now we're at 20 campuses, which we're really excited about, and we have a another good handful that uh, are very promising. So um, we're, we're really getting that critical number, if you will, and we can start looking at our aggregate data on the back end and start to identify, you know, what are trends that we're seeing on campus? What are students looking at at different times of the year? What are different demographics of students looking at? For example, you know, how can we best support freshman female students compared to senior uh, male students or whatever that might be? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of great analytics that we can pull that we share with our campuses to say, hey, here's you probably should do some resource planning around this issue because it's really prevalent on your campus. But then also looking nationally and saying, what are the trends on community colleges on the East Coast compared to four-year state colleges on the West Coast or whatever that might be? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, I love data. You know, what I do in my day job and stuff, I'm all about numbers and stuff. So I'm sitting here thinking like, man, that is some powerful information coming in to be able to segment the students and really do kind of get in an understanding and, and to see what's happening. Um, and so this portal being able to, you know, not in the, the creepy way of we're all collecting information on everybody, but in a, like, in a really life changing way and understanding. Um, because you're right, you know, you said this at the beginning of the episode here that, um, we don't really know what's causing some of the stress, you know, and, and some of these kind of the baseline. We don't know what's going on quite yet in this world around us that's making people feel and re- react and respond or, you know, feeling lost and lonely and, and suicidal. Um, but beginning to have all these data points out there is actually a really big, a big part of this, you know, um, mm-hmm. technology well, is critical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it lets us do is, switch from a reactive stance where when I was on campus one semester, the fall semester, we saw a lot of Adderall abuse. So we said, oh, in the spring semester, we should probably do some Adderall abuse education. Reactive stance. Great, but reactive. So now because we can look at that data in real time, if I saw a week or two weeks where a lot of students were searching Adderall abuse or a topic like that, all of a sudden a week later, we can start doing some outreach around that. So it gets rid of that lag time and hopefully cuts off a lot of these issues of the past instead of instead of having to wait until they're presenting to the health center. 
Right, right. And then even the structuring it, like what that timing is, like what's going on on campus? Like are are there finals happening? Is it quarterlies? Mm-hmm. You know, and being able to then segment further, like is it the College of Engineering? <laughs> is it the uh, mm-hmm. right. stuff like that? I mean, that's where I'm like, yeah, that's just, that's amazing. Like, yeah, you can really solve and, and get some, some great answers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what and else? The other piece there is, oh, yeah, we know schools do, you know, let's say tobacco cessation week. But let's say I don't want to quit smoking in the second week of January. Um, you know, the world's changing. So with that, making sure that we're connecting students with those resources 24-7, 365, so that whatever challenge it is that you have, you don't have to wait for the week to quit or whatever it might be to access those resources. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So on man therapy, there was this really kind of nice anonymous feature, which was the head inspection, a way of doing kind of your own self-evaluation. And I remember I asked you about it on whether or not I could do it for a friend, you know, if I wanted to check into him. Have you integrated something similar to that in this UET college platform? Yes, absolutely we have. So we think the first step to, you know, bettering yourself and taking action, of course, is raising your self-awareness of what are those blind spots and things that I'm struggling in. So instead of a head inspection, we call them reality checks. So, again, the idea is it's a very light screening tool, very much written for college populations, very different than taking a depression screening that's, you know, doom and gloom at your doctor's office. No offense to those assessments. But it's fun and light. And at CSU alone, we've actually had over 20,000 students complete that assessment. So with that, when I think of, you know, the the time it would take faculty and staff to give 20,000 assessments and give meaningful feedback, I'd argue that that's nearly impossible. Yeah. So with that, we made those reality check assessments across each of those domains. So succeed in the academic realm, thrive about physical and mental health, and matter about purpose and connection on campus. And as soon as you finish those assessments, you get a quick, um, uh, I hate calling it a report card because there's a, a bad connotation there, but some, some light feedback that's very much non-judgmental, raises your awareness, and then you can click through and access resources in any area that is of interest. And that also further customizes all the content in the portal. So if you say that, let's say you're feeling anxious, but you're not depressed, Lo and behold, all our content related to that topic area is going to be floating to the top for you to connect with. Jeez, that's powerful. I mean, that really is. I mean, to be able to have a tailored experience like that and putting up front and center the things that I know that I would want my kid to be able to get to, you know, if I was concerned for him or, you know, and, and, and like I said, we've all had some good experiences in college, but that's not the case for everybody and that there is stress. I mean, I don't want to undermine, and I know you have felt it too. There is still a stress to do and learning how to navigate that and having all of that there to hopefully prevent crisis because that's all I want for my kid in school. I want him, mm-hmm. if he goes to college or if my daughter goes to college, I want him to have fun. I want them to get a great education, have a wonderful experience, and I I don't want it to, you know, change them in bad ways. And so I Mm -hmm. I love that this is something that, you know, is a possibility for them. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think the other piece just to add to that is that it's really cool when students are the ones finding those resources because they take a confidential and anonymous assessment, then they're recommended some resources. And then we know when mom or dad or therapist or professor says, go check this out, realistically students aren't or kids aren't going to do it because right. it's not cool. But all of a sudden they took an assessment and they did it themselves and no one's coming and knocking on their door. And I found this great resource that helped me. The locus of control is within. So that can breed further confidence to not only help themselves and do it again, but also share that with a friend. I found this great resource that helped me manage my stress. Let me tell you about it. So the, it's just a total mind shift that puts the control in the student's hands, which is very important during this time of life where students are really looking for that next step in independence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what's up Grit Digital Health Sleeve next? Um, you said Hope Lab um, is something that you guys are working on, but what are some of the other great applications of technology and psychology that you guys are, are bringing together that you can share with us? Yeah. Of course, yeah. So the first one, again, you at college is really our passion right now. That's our, our sole focus. So we're very excited to continue growing that network and really just create a, a culture and network of well-being across the country. So we're, we're really excited about that. But with that, we are also stepping into the corporate market. So reimagining you at college for a corporate space. Mm-hmm. So we know that, you know, all these challenges that people are facing during college aren't just disappearing when they turn 22 and join the workforce. Okay. So being able to provide a similar service is, is really cool. And, of course, 
we know that a culture is somewhat shifting in the corporate space of really wanting to take care of employees in a different way and address mental health. And of course, there could be a, a huge return on investment there by decreasing recidivism and absenteeism and productivity. Yeah. So that's one. And then we had a number, number of other products, um, or projects, excuse me, that were working in collaboration with various organizations, um, on one end, all the way from the VA on the other end to um, doing some suicide prevention work. So a lot of those were under um, NDAs and disclosures, so we can't share too much about it, but um, we're very excited about all the work we have and um, more to come. So if you have the chance there, definitely visit gritdigitalhealth.com. We have a little bit of information on those. And if you're specifically interested, you at college, UAT at college.com has all that information. Cool. That's very cool. You know, on the corporate side of it, um, you know, one of the things I've been doing some recruiting research for one of my, you know, I'm a, I'm a marketing person by day and a self-help vigilante by night. Um, and so my day job has me looking at recruitment as well as retention. And, uh, and one of the biggest factors that people leave jobs really is rarely to do with pay. And it has to do with having a sense of feeling belonging. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, how do they, do they feel yeah. part of the team and do they feel integrated into the community that is the, the people that they work around? So mental wellness, you know, at the workplace is, you know, so vital and key to that in so many ways. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's a natural, I mean, that seems like a natural move for you guys to do that. Um, so all the resources, I'll even include Hope Lab because I was looking at that. That looks like a fantastic group. So I'll have those um, included in the podcast notes. So if there's a university out there listening and they actually want to to integrate this into their program, how do they get a hold of you or Grid Digital Health or, or whoever to, or you at college to get this going? Yeah, so the easiest way to do it is go to youatcollege.com, and there's a contact information, a big button there. You can also request a demo, and we can just send you some information. So visit youatcollege.com, and we're more than happy to be in touch and see if um, a partnership might make sense. Awesome. Well, Dr. Demers, Nathan, um, it has been another amazing, amazing episode with you. I appreciate you. I'm so glad that I found you and we're able to have these conversations and stuff. And so thank you again for taking this time and sharing, you know, what you guys are doing in terms of applying technology and psychology, you know, together out there. Um, it's, it's, it's great stuff. I, I love it. Thank you. And thanks for your, what you're doing to get the word out there. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiracone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.